Good morning, River Oaks. My name is Art Cash, member of the preaching team here at River Oaks, pastor. It is my privilege to talk to you about Ephesians 4 this morning. One, I'm I'm thankful that you're here. For those that, that could be here, I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful for the wisdom for those who decided to, to stay home, uh, that are at risk and can join us live online. feels weird to say this. I'm kind of thankful for technology. I don't, it's not usually something I'm, I'm thankful for, uh, YouTube, the Internet. But here today, it, it allows saints to, to join us. So I'm thankful for that. So much has changed in a week, feels like. But what does not change is our God. What does not change is our need for His Word. What does not change is our need for each other, for the body of Christ. And we may need to be creative and flexible over the next few weeks, but we are still the body of Christ, gathered near and far. And we can have confidence in that because we worship Christ who's a sovereign king, not just over viruses, but over all of heaven and earth. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for a, an urgency, an awareness of our need for you. Today is a, is a passage that, that shows us the need for what we've been doing all these years. Father, I I pray that you would, by your Spirit, show us what it looks like for a church to grow and mature, what it looks like when leaders equip the saints and the saints minister to one another and to a world who needs to know about your Son. Help us see it. Help us believe it. Help us live in light of it. Father, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll be continuing uh, in Ephesians 4. If you're a guest with us online or we're here, we've been preaching through Ephesians for a while now. This morning we're going to be in verses 11 through 13. And we're going to be talking about how the body of Christ grows and matures when Church leadership equips the saints and the saints minister when disciples are being made, when we're serving one another. So for that mission being properly equipped, it's, it's critical. All right, does anybody remember a couple years ago when the, that Thai soccer team was, was trapped in those caves okay, that, that flooded? There were, I think, 11 or 12 boys and in, in, in their coach there who went miles back into cave system there, and became trapped when the caves flooded. It took eight days to plan and train and figure out how they were going to, to rescue those boys. It took nine days to find them. I, I, I can't imagine what was going through their minds as, as they waited. But rapidly, people with a variety of skill sets from all over the world gathered together, unified around one mission— rescue these boys and their coach. You you had communication experts who figured out how to snake a a fiber optics line back to where they were so they could talk to their families while they waited. 
You had medical experts that figured out how to run a, a three-mile cable so air could be pumped into the cave so they could breathe. You, you had people bringing in machinery that was pumping water out of the caves. So eventually, these Thai Navy SEALs, who were highly trained, well-equipped, were able to go in and rescue these boys. One of those uh, men lost their lives in, in the process. It was risky. It was hard. But for those, those players and their coach, it's a happy ending. They, they, they were rescued. I want you to think about that for, for us as Christians. I mean, the, the stakes are much higher than, than life and death. And the ending is much happier. It's glorious, in fact. We are involved in a rescue operation right now. As we'll see in this passage, each leader, each saint, every member of the body of Christ is involved, is to be unified and engaged in this rescue mission. So let's, let's see what we're talking about in Ephesians 4. I'm going to start in verse 7. I want to read all the way through 16 so you can, you can hear the flow and the whole idea of the passage. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. How does that filling of all things take place? Here it is. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by crafting us in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Brothers and sisters, verse, verse 12 here essentially is our main point. I love it when Scripture's so clear that it just jumps out at us. Here's the main point. When leaders equip and the saints minister, the body of Christ is built up. Simple equation. Leaders equipping plus saints ministering equals a church maturing. So I want us to start this morning with, with verse 13. I want us to see the end. What's, what's the goal? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All of that is about growth, growing up into, maturing, a church, a body that's maturing. <laughs> I mean, we've been going through Ephesians now for a while. We have all these truths from the first half of the book. We come to chapter 4. Now what? 
What's been the point of all the truth? What's been the point of spiritual gifts that have been given? What's the purpose? What's the goal? You know, I'm one of those people that I need the goals spelled out. And I, I need it clear for me. Okay, you've heard the phrase, talk to me like I'm five. Yeah, that's, I, I need that. Explain it to me in simple language. What are we doing? What are we doing as a church? I mean, think about it. How clarifying is it for you in, in a work or school situation when you have clearly defined goals, a clear purpose, you know who you are and you know what you're doing? Okay, contrast helps me learn, so I think back to my days at Ruby Tuesday, you know, 13 years there. Some days we were making guests happy. Some days we were quality, passion, and pride. Some days we were making investors happy. Some days we were high-quality, casual dining. The point is that it was constantly moving, the goal, the mission. It was constantly shifting to the point that the goals changed so much, we never really knew exactly who we were. And what we were doing, we could be sure, would change within a few weeks or a few months. This passage, though, it's, it's, it's the polar opposite of change for change's sake. Who we are and what we're doing has not changed in over 2,000 years. And who are we then? We're the church. We are the church the first way that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling is unity. What are we unified around? The knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the faith, maturing, growing up into Christ. Over and over and over, we see Paul returning to the theme of the church in Ephesians, the body of Christ. You can see it on the screen, a new humanity. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Citizens, saints, members of the family of God. The church is a structure. Jesus is the cornerstone being built into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose? Until we all attain the unity of the faith, growing in Christ, maturing. So, a question for you. Here's why this is important. Why, why are we talking about the church? Do you see the church like this? Do you see the church as the bride of Christ? Do you see her for who she truly is? Or does church get compartmentalized along with several other things? That's my doctor. That's my dentist. That's my gym. That's my favorite streaming service. That's my dry cleaners. That's my church. Allow the Holy Spirit to search you here. Be willing to hear a hard word this morning. You may not remember this, but a few months ago, when we were going through the indicatives and we were relishing the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done, all of this glorious truth, I said to you, we're going to need this. <laughs> we're going to need these indicatives because we're coming to some imperatives. We're coming to some commands. So we have to know that we are united to Christ. And he is the one who helps us think rightly when we ask, what kind of Christian am I? Do I contribute or consume? Our beliefs about what the local church actually is get put to the test by a passage like this. 
the reason that it's critical that we have a high view of who the church is is so we will have an equally high view of what we are to do as members of her. Our goal and our purpose is directly from verse 12 and 13, building up the body of Christ to see her mature in the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal of the church directly impacts how we function. This passage shows us that we all have specific roles. So let's start with, with the leaders. We see in verse 11 that, well, if you remember back from 7 and 8, the spiritual gifts are to every believer. Okay, so we have that. But in verse 11, we see spiritual gifts can also be people. And he, meaning Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Leaders are a gift to the body of Christ. We saw back in Ephesians 2.20, apostles and prophets, as we go through this list of, of who these people are, apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. The rest of our list, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers, they've been given to the church by Christ. And they have one priority, one priority, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, directly from verse 12. So what is that? I mean, two questions here have to be asked and answered. What are we to equip the saints with and how? What and how? So we can find the answer to what in verse 13. We are to equip you with the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. It's interesting there. Okay, Paul doesn't make a distinction between faith and knowledge. He puts those things together. We are to equip you with what will help you mature in Christ-likeness. In other words, we equip you with sound doctrine. And the critic might say, really, Art? I mean, doctrine? Doctrine in, in the middle of, of this thing that's going on in the world? You want to talk to me about doctrine? Isn't, isn't that just code for intellectuals kind of sitting around in, in skinny jeans with coffee, all nods to, to Paul Washer, okay? <laughs> Talking about random terms like, you know, superlapsarianism, and they're just sort of sitting there debating and, and, and doing nothing, perhaps. Is that a fair criticism? Man, how can we be talking about doctrine while in the real world, people are in need of everything from hearing about Jesus to where they're going to find their next roll of toilet paper, and you want to talk about doctrine. <laughs> oh, well, yes, it's right here in this passage. Doctrine must always lead to practice and to truth and to action. This, this passage will not allow a merely theoretical religion relegated to intellectual exercise in a coffee shop. So think for a second, imagine if the, if the Thai Navy SEALs, they just got together and they, they talked about that rescue mission in theory. Well, this is what it would look like if, if we did rescue them. We could do it in this way. We could do it in that way. We might even role play it a little bit so we'll be ready. It's absurd. Our rescue mission is infinity past that. So it's, it's not about just practicing it and talking about it and thinking about it, this is a call to action. Truth for the Christian must always lead to action. 
This is where, man, I, I love this, okay? The word equip, it means two things. It carries with it two things, repair and strengthen. That's so good. Because what we are doing is leaders is equipping you with the hope to be found in Christ alone and calling you to action as a result of that hope. That's our highest priority. We've all heard it said that, that church is to be a hospital for sinners. Yes, yes and amen. Brothers and sisters, it's also a gym for the saints. You're both. We're both. There's, we need every single Sunday to be told and to hear rest in Jesus. It is finished. He has done this for you. And we need to hear every single Sunday, go and tell, serve, love. Unity looks like gentleness and humility. It looks like service and love. A hospital for sinners and a gym for saints. At the same time, we can be talking to you about the importance of the restoration and the healing that can be found in Jesus, and at the same time, encourage you to strive in the strength of Jesus when it's time to fight. That means those who lead, teach, and equip, we have a responsibility to you, the saints. When we talk about doctrine, it needs to be clear. It needs to be simple. It's not watering down doctrine to make a glorious truth accessible to you. It does you absolutely no good. If I throw some huge term out there and you're like, what is he talking about? The impressive piece is when an equipper can take that and make you understand it, help you love Jesus more because of it. That is our call as equippers, as teachers, as disciplers, to where the youngest, the newest Christian and the lifelong believer with a PhD are both walking out that door more clearly seeing Jesus and more clearly loving him. That's the goal of sound doctrine. How about this? The, the authority and the word, the authority of the word, the sufficiency of Christ, this is our responsibility to you. Again, if, if equipping is repairing and it's strengthening, this is why we're committed to the authority of the Word. This is why Sunday mornings are drenched in the Word and sustained by the Spirit. We read the Word. We sing the Word. We encourage you to sit under the preached Word. It is by no authority or power that I have, or Jill has, or Keith has, or Hannah has, or Kevin has, or Chris. It's none of us. It will be the Holy Spirit that opens your eyes to see your need of the Word. It will be the Holy Spirit who convicts you to submit to the authority of the Word. Every single Sunday, classes, growth groups, wherever you find yourself in the body of, of River Oaks, you're going to hear about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What would be the point of gathering if we didn't hear one more time Jesus is faithful where I'm faithless. Jesus is strong where I'm weak. Jesus is not afraid where I'm afraid. 
I need to hear that every single Sunday, every time we gather as a body of believers. I need you to remind me, and I'm going to remind you, that Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. How damning would it be if you showed up here every Sunday and you were just told, you need to be more like Jesus? And then you weren't told that it's actually Jesus himself that's making you more like him. That is life. Man, the sufficiency of Christ and the authority of the word. We're responsible to you for what we emphasize as a church. There's a reason that we have a streamlined model and we don't over-program. If you've been in our membership class, you heard this last week. We, we don't want your calendar full of events and activities and programs that bring you into this building every night of the week. A couple things happen there. You start feeling guilty if I don't make every single thing that's, that's happening at church. More importantly, you get lulled into thinking that's ministry. Only when I come to church, only when I'm involved in, in a church-sanctioned function is that ministry. We're going to talk more about what ministry really is in a minute. But I want you to see this, that if you bring us an idea, a ministry idea, that it lines up with we get to declare the gospel, we get to make disciples, or we get to demonstrate the love of the Father, we say, yes. Do it. Go. We don't need committees. We don't need a a bunch of this and that and the other. Go. Do it. How can we help you? How can we equip you? Run with it. That's why we operate with this streamlined model. Equipping the saints means that Sunday school classes look a little different. There's there's equipping that's happening there. Purposeful equipping. Cover things from theology to engaging the culture, depression, anger, parenting, marriage, marriage. I'm not saying that marriage and parenting lead to depression and anger. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a lot of folks that you know, have to <laughs> navigate a lot of places. The, the point is that we want to equip you to share the gospel with others. We want to equip you to discipleship fellow believers, to disciple them. We want to equip you to, to help you grow in your, in your Christian walk. That commitment to equipping, restoring, strengthening so the body grows. It's past Sunday morning. It's why we sent 16 women last weekend. feels like a long time ago, but it was just last weekend to Chattanooga to attend Nancy Guthrie teaching on biblical theology. It's why 15 students attended teaching on evangelism last weekend and then went to the laundromat to, to pray for people. They put doctrine in practice. It's why we hold discipleship and growth group turbo training weekends. Why are men's and women's retreats? Sometimes they're a little more conference-like, a little more teaching than retreat. Because we want to equip you. If we've got you together, we want to teach. We want to equip. We want to empower. It's why we had Greg Kokel come in two years ago and teach us about tactics. It's why, Lord willing, in the fall, we'll have Jared Wilson come in, the writer of many books, my favorite being Imperfect Disciple, but he'll be here in the fall teaching at our, at our men's retreat, Lord's will, Lord willing. Now, I'm not running down that list, so it's, it's this. I'm running down this list because I'm firmly convinced that Scripture tells us to equip you. 
This is how the body of Christ grows. This is how the body of Christ builds itself up. We are in a spiritual battle, as Chris described last week. Equipping the saints is how we wage war. Paul describes it that way to Timothy. Wage the good warfare. Fight the good fight of faith. Equipping the saints at River Oaks is a matter of not just conviction and obedience, but joy. We love it. What do we do? Saints do the work of ministry. Leadership equips. Saints do the work of ministry. The church matures. So let's turn to this phrase here in verse 12. Okay, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of body of the body of Christ. What then is the work of ministry? This word literally means service. Knowing that ministry means service helps us clear up the myth that ministry is only what takes place at church. Absolutely, church programs can be and are ministry. But the work of ministry is not limited to a place or an event. Anytime and in any way and in any place a believer is serving, loving, or discipling another, that's the work of ministry. That reality is freeing. Helping people move, that's ministry. The, the, the young mom who feels guilty, I couldn't make it to church, I, I, I couldn't make it to that event, yet she's, she's regularly praying with her kids, she's regularly serving them, talking to them about Jesus, that's her ministry. She's doing the work of ministry. Right now, young people in our church who decide to, to, not, to not scoff at people's fears, but to see the, the wisdom in, in those that, that need to stay home. God doesn't just give us a spirit that is not a fear. He also gives us wisdom. So when there are people in, in high-risk categories or those who are medical care providers that soon will be working very long hours, young people, it's time to, it's time to think, how could I serve the body of Christ? Could I get them groceries? Could I get prescriptions for them? Could I mow their yard? Could I run some errands? That is the work of ministry. This is the body of Christ being built up. First Timothy 6, Paul gives specific instructions to, to the rich. He tells them, you, you tell the rich folks there that they are not to trust in wealth. They are not to put their hope in money. It's, un, it's uncertain. I think we've seen that over the last week, just how uncertain wealth is. He tells the wealthy, be rich in good works. Be generous. So here we have an opportunity. Within a few weeks, I don't know what this is going to look like, but it could look like those that work in retail, those in the service industry are out of work. Here's an opportunity for the wealthy. If you have the financial ability, how could you even now be thinking about ways to love and serve your brothers and sisters in this body who may be in a desperate situation within a month or so? This is the work of ministry. The church has an unbelievable opportunity right now. My, my fear is that 
the amount of time that we're, we're on social media, the amount of time we see the emails and, and uh, communication that goes out that, that suggests to the church, you could serve in this way, you could serve in this way, moves from being novel to kind of background noise to somebody else will do it. That, that can't be us. The church has an unbelievable opportunity right now. Will we take it? Will we minister? This blows my mind. If you look back to Ephesians 2.10, you were walking, early part of Ephesians 2, in death. You were following Satan. You were following the world. You were in the dark. But Christ made you alive with him. He saved you from that to something, Ephesians 2.10. He saved you for good works. He created you for good works. So I, it, it took me a minute to put these pieces together. But this virus did not take God by surprise. Therefore, the good works that he's ordained for us to do, he figured this out in, in, in eternity past, that here are good works the church can do in light of the evil that is happening. We can trust him that he has given us service. He has given us ministry. He's given us good works to do. Will we take the opportunity? This passage does imply a primary way that we minister. Ministry is service, but there's a primary way because we're talking about how the body is built up. We, we can see this in verse 13. Unity. We're building to that. Knowledge of the Son of God increasing. How do we know that? We're maturing in manhood, means adulthood, to the measure of the stature growing up into the fullness of Christ. We see down in verse 15 how this happens, speaking the truth in love. A primary way that the church grows and builds is discipleship. Okay, discipleship. This is how we build each other up in our faith. So let's say that two Christians are meeting together regularly for prayer. One's a new Christian, the other is more mature Christian. New Christian's got questions. She's like, listen, how, how, could a, how could a good God allow this, allow this virus? How, how could a good God, for that, for that matter, how could a good God allow car accidents and, and cancer? Good, fair, right questions. So, so the, 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 the older lady here, let's say, more mature in the faith, is able to say, I'm glad you're asking this. This is a great question, fair question. She's excited because she's been equipped in sound doctrine. She wants to discuss it. She helps this newer Christian see that we worship a God who is not indifferent to suffering. A God who entered history, suffered, was made weak, understands it all, is not indifferent to suffering. She helps her see that if there is objective evil, there must be objective good. She helps her with minor doctrine, seeing, hey, here's, here's an example of common grace when we have doctors in medicine. This conversation helps the newer Christian grow in her faith. She's becoming equipped. Discipleship is how the body of Christ is built up and matures. The older disciple helps the newer disciple see it. This, okay, now I am better equipped to think about what's going on in the world. But you may have objections. I understand that. You may think, all right, I can serve. 
I can definitely go get somebody some prescriptions. I can, I can mow their yard. I can help. But I don't know enough about Jesus to disciple someone. So I have a simple question for you. Is there someone in your life that you know more about Jesus than they do? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Okay, I, I want you to think for just a second about the woman in the well. What, what did she do when, when, when she came to faith? She left her jar and she went back to the village and she said, you got to come see this guy. Could he be the Christ? She, she didn't wait. She didn't go through equipping classes. She wasn't discipled for years. She immediately shared the gospel. Okay, she's immediately, as soon as you are converted, you are a vessel for Christ. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You can share Jesus. But how is the church built up? How does it mature? You can continue to learn and be equipped over time. But if we're being completely honest, for some of us, failing to disciple, it's, it's a heart problem. It's not a knowledge problem. For some of us, failure to disciple is a motivation problem. It's not a time problem. Here's the command. Pray. Go back to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and remind yourself of what's true. Confess your lack of motivation. Confess your lack of desire. Plead with God to give you the desire to share Jesus with others. He will give it to you. Look back at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, all of us, discipleship like all forms of ministry and service in the body, it can't be left to the few. It, it, it can't be like the, the, the pastor's driving the bus and the, the pastor driving the bus and everybody's a, a passenger. It can't be 22 football players, I'm thinking offense and defense, right? They're playing the, the game, and there's 100,000 fans going, yay, who need to get in the game? It, it can't be that way, okay? It, all right, it, it can't be like Reggie, okay? You, you do not have to have any familiarity with M. Night Shyamalan, Lady in the Water, very underrated movie. You don't need to know that at all. You don't need to know that's Reggie, and he's the guardian, and he has a role. None of that matters. What you need to be able to see is that the right side of Reggie's body is a lot stronger than the left side. That's all you need to see. That body is not right. You don't have to know the movie to see that that's not healthy. Something's wrong there. That can't be us. That lopsided body is not healthy. If we were to obey this passage, every member is to be involved in ministry. Every member involved in discipleship. If the church is to be built up, then we're all striving to attain the unity of the faith together. We're maturing and growing into the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, life is too short. The call is too high and God is too holy for us to be growing up in the faith and yet still hoarding Christ like people might do supplies during a pandemic. That cannot be us. Our calling is higher than that. For us to walk in a manner that's worthy, we see that the primary response to the good news of the gospel is to give it away. 
We've been given Christ by the Father. Christ gives his life to redeem a sinful, wretched, rebellious people. He gives us the Spirit. He gives us gifts. He gives us teachers. He gives us the church to much that has been given to all of us. They've been given much. We've got to give it away. That's our responsibility and our joy, both to each other and to a world that needs to hear about Jesus. But objections come up, right? The inner critic. He, just, he won't shut up, man. He's just like, eh, you can't do this. You can't do this. Art and those elder guys, they can do it. Maybe my growth group leader can do it. I don't know who this guy is, but he's saying you can't do it. <laughs> he says, I don't know how to disciple. I don't know who to disciple. We've talked about who. Anybody that you are in relationship with that needs to know more about Jesus. A child, a fellow student, a coworker, a friend. What about how? I want to make the argument that you're already discipling people in something. What are you passionate about? What do you find yourself talking about? Anybody that's a friend of mine has to put up with a few things. They know within about five minutes, I'm going to ask them a series of questions. What, what movies or shows have you been watching lately? And have you seen any redemptive themes in those? Okay. What books are you reading? Looking for some good books. Uh, how do you think UT football is going to do this year? What do you think about Pruitt? And then, hey, have you thought about trying CrossFit? Okay. Those are going to be about the three or four or five things that are going to come up in conversation with me. Why? Because they're things I like, things I care about. You and I are already naturally encouraging and persuading people towards ideas, towards experiences that we love. You're already a discipler. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This truth may be convicting, but it is not complicated. If you're feeling conviction, some of you should be feeling encouragement because you're doing this. If you're feeling conviction, you're not left without hope. You've got three chapters of indicatives to go back to and to pray. Pray that your desire for Christ would be so strong that you can't help but talk about him. Objection two, I don't have time or margin in my life to organize a Bible study. Am I going to fit this in with everything that I'm doing? Do I have to tack disciple-making onto an already busy life? I want you to see the difference between informal and formal discipleship. We've talked about formal discipleship. Sunday morning, Bible studies, discipleship groups, Bible studies, equipping classes. Those are all great and needed. But discipleship does not have to be cookie-cutter. It does not have to look like a certain person. Discipleship is the way a Christian lives his life in word and action. When discipleship becomes more about who you are than some mold that you're trying to fit, you will view each situation in your life as having potential. And that potential is to point people to Christ. When you see all of life through a Christ-centered lens, you become intentional. You're looking for chances to bring Jesus into the conversation. Somebody's hurting. Somebody's struggling. You think about that when maybe you're at work and somebody that you, you talk ball with slides by your cubicle or walks by and says, you know, 
brings up that their, their marriage is struggling. Okay? Does that come to you in your heart as, oh, man, I don't have time for this. I have a meeting coming up. I have a project due. Or does your heart leap because here is a God-ordained opportunity to point this person to Christ? What's your approach? Here's what this can look like. So I'm going to brag about Heather for a minute, okay? okay? Not exactly Heather, but more Christ in her and the Holy Spirit in her. And because she happens to be the person I'm most close to that is doing this, okay? She's been equipped through the years, discipleship training, growth group training, things like that. What I want you to see, though, is Heather, by the power of the Holy Spirit, does not look at discipleship as something she has to tack on to being a mom, being a doctor, being a wife, being this, being that. It is who she is, Last year, she invited a couple. She invited a couple ladies from her gym. Just here's the intentionality. And she invited them to read through the Bible in a year. So, as as pastor husband, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, shouldn't I have been encouraging her? I'm like, don't you want to just start with John? Nope, we're going to read through the Bible in a year. Awesome. Here's how this went. She, she's invited, a, one is a, is a strong Catholic. One is learning so much about Christ and the Bible that every time they meet, she has a ton of questions. And that's exciting to Heather. She comes back from that meeting fired up about it because it's okay from time to time to say, I don't know. That is a great question. Let's go to the Word and find out. But you know what the hardest part was for her? The hardest part was asking the question, Obeying the Holy Spirit, stepping out in faith with one question. Hey, do you want to read through the Bible with me in a year? What's the worst that could have happened? They say no when you move on, but they said yes. Now they're all the way through Galatians, still meeting, still discipling. This is what it looks like when we take Christ in and we give Christ out. This is what it looks like when leaders equip, saints minister, and the body of Christ is built up. Heather is only one example. There are many of you that are ministering like this. You're meeting with people from, from your growth group. You're spending time digging in the Word. You're changing the oil in, in your car and talking about Jesus. You're meeting for a beverage and talking through your marriage. You're meeting for, for coffee in the morning and discussing the struggles that you're having and pointing each other to Jesus. Many of you are doing this at work, at home, and in the community. It's glorious. All of that ministry, all of that discipleship is the ministry of the saints. Brothers and sisters, every day we're presented multiple opportunities to disciple if if we see people and circumstances as God sees them. Not as inconvenient, not as annoying, but as God ordaining an opportunity that he's sovereignly placed right in front of you. Do you see it? So let's close with, with what comes next here in verse 13. I, I'm sympathetic to the planner because I am one the one that, that needs the, the vision, the strategy. I need it spelled out. 
I want to know what we do next, especially in times of uncertainty. So what's next? Verse 13, until. That word is packed because what that means is this is the plan. Until Jesus Christ comes back in glory to reign forever. Until leaders are equipping the saints. Saints are doing the work of ministry and the body of Christ is built. Maturing is slow. It's methodical. It isn't flashy, but neither was the cross, right? Jesus loves to shame the wise with what appears to be foolish. Jesus loves to glorify himself to the strong with what appears to be weak. So, Little River Oaks, Maryville, Tennessee, part of this grand rescue mission? Yes. Yes. Each one of us is is a part of it. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Our triune God will be glorified. His plans will not be thwarted. Be encouraged because Jesus loves his church. He cherishes her and he nourishes her. He will sanctify her. This is you that that he's talking about in Ephesians 5. He He will cleanse her and wash her with his word. He will present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle that she might be holy without blemish. So all your stops and starts in trying to minister to each other, all of your discipleship efforts, all of the ways that that we fail when we try to equip, you fail as you try to minister, get washed clean. They get redeemed. They get made clear. No blemish, no wrinkle. All of your ministry and all of our equipping matters. It matters for eternity. So while we wait for that glorious day, let us by the power of the Spirit live in that until. That's where we are right now, in the until. We live there with clarity, purpose, and joy as we equip the saints, do the work of ministry, and build up the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, there are um, many times that you have made me thankful for the church. Today is, is one of those. Father, I thank you for the privilege of, of being able to, to preach your word. Father, I thank you for the spirit who enlivens our hearts and opens our ears to the authority and the power of your word. Father, I thank you for Jesus who laid down his life to restore us to himself and to you. Father, I pray that your spirit right now would would work, um, would convict where we need to be convicted and would encourage where we need to be encouraged. Father, help us think clearly about the opportunities that we have to minister, to disciple. Father, help us to not do that in our own strength or or power, but to always come back to Scripture and our reliance upon the Spirit. Help us, Father. 
Lord, give us joy as we prepare to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.